Hi, Cindy. Hi, Katie. How are you doing today? I am hanging in there like a cat poster. Did you catch my cold? I think I did. Yes. How does that work? <laughs> we're, we're like 1,500 miles away from each other. Can you catch I, colds through podcasts? I think so. I think so. I mean, it's possible. Oh. I, I have lore fever all the time, so. <laughs> Aw. Well, I'm sorry your week's not going so great, Katie. But we're here together. And guess what? What? I have a This Week in History just for you, Katie. <gasps> I'm so excited. This is like that. This is literally the highlight of my week. I'm so excited to hear this story. Well, Katie, there's no need to feel down. I said, Katie, pick yourself up off the ground. I said, Katie, because you're new and down. Um, <laughs> there's no need to be unhappy. Because, Katie, there's a place you can go. I said, Katie, when you're short on your dough. Is this awkward yet? <laughs> you can stay there, and I'm sure you will find many ways to have a good time. <laughs> so, Katie, when I say YMCA, or mm -hmm. the Y, as the cool kids call it, what do you think about the village people is like the very first thing that comes to my mind. Yes. You also may know, in addition to it being a very famous song, it's also a very famous and well-known recreational center. Oh, I thought it was just a place where, um, at least in my community, it's tied closely with um, serving the homeless population. Yes. And like providing a place for for them to, to live and stay more so, I mean think there's also the recreation piece to it, but there's also that as well. Yeah. So it's interesting. Depending mm -hmm. on where you grew up, you probably had a YMCA near you. Um, also, depending on where you grew up, the YMCA um, may have had what they call a swim and gym reputation to it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was a place that served homeless populations. Um, for some people, it had a lot of meaning. Um, or perhaps, depending on where you grew up, it had a different meaning to you altogether. So, Katie, would you like to learn more about the YMCA? <laughs> I am so excited. Bring it. How awkward would this have been if you were like, no, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> I have no desire to learn anything new about anything. No. And this podcast is over. We'll see you next week with a new episode. <laughs> that would be a very boring podcast. I am I am content in my ignorance. <laughs> but today, Katie, <laughs> you shall have ignorance no more. Oh, For, thank goodness. I want to tell you the story of the YMCA founded this week on June 6, 1844. Oh, I didn't realize it was that old. Right? Well, so yeah. here's the thing. I know some people listening to this might be like, seriously, the the why. The why. You, you really want to tell me about like <laughs> the pools and like the after school activities. But there's actually a lot of interesting facts about the why that I discovered. Um, but before I share those with you, let me just give you a brief, a brief little tidbit all about the why's overall mission for anybody who's not aware. At its core, the mission of the why is to nurture the youth. It serves more than 18 million Americans, half of them under the age of 18. 
and wields more social services spending power than many small nations. Wow. In fact, it is our nation's largest nonprofit, and it's the wise policy that they will never turn away anyone because of an inability to pay. So, kind of like we were saying before, in addition to providing recreational activities like the swim and gym, sorry, I'm drinking too at the same time. It's very bubbly. Hold on. It's been been a week. What is it? Oh, it's a Mike's. Oh, yes. Good choice. So, in addition to providing recreational activities like the swim and gym, the Y is also one of the largest providers in the country of daycare services and after-school programs for working in homeless families. The YMCA is also the largest provider of single occupancy rooms and offers affordable places to live for people moving off welfare or out of homeless shelters. Mm -hmm. There are currently about 2,500 Ys in the country, which I think is pretty impressive. So Katie, let me take you back in time to the late 18th, early 19th century London during the Industrial Revolution. Oh, my favorite of the revolutions. (laughs) (laughs) Due to the growth of railroads and centralization of commerce Mm. and industry, many young rural men came to cities like London for jobs. Mm -hmm. These young men worked 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week, and often lived at their places of work. The streets and tenements of London were full of, quote, open sewers, pickpockets, thugs, beggars, drunks, lovers for hire, and abandoned children running wild by the thousands. Now, just to be clear, I read that last part and I'm like, a thousand, like abandoned children running wild by the thousands. Like that could not be true. Just herds of wild children. Little feral children running Mm -hmm. around. It's true. I actually read somewhere um, that there were upwards of maybe like 30,000 abandoned children on the streets of London during this time. Oh, I didn't realize like literally on the streets. I knew that there um, was an entire industry that was built up around it's essentially warehousing children Mm -hmm. for working Mm -hmm. women, which is something I think we should dive more into because it is mind bogglingly horrific. Yes. And it's funny you say that because I was thinking the exact same thing Mm. too. I'm like, we definitely have to address this at some point. Um, so George Williams, he was a 22-year-old farmer-turned-department store worker. He was appalled by what he saw. The only recreational activities for young men at that time seemed to be brothels and taverns. Hey, that's, What's wrong with that? You get a workout, and then you go and you get a bit of refreshment. And it's my understanding that at this time period, the alcohol content in some of those ales was not very high. So it's actually you know, hydrating. So I don't know what he thought the problem was all about. But nonetheless, he and some friends were concerned about this lack of, quote, healthy activities for young men in big cities like London. Hmm. So Williams joined 11 of his friends to organize the first Young Men's Christian Association, a.k.a. the YMCA. You were such a smart lady. (laughs) (laughs) Acronyms are like my top 10 favorite things in the whole world, so... Thank you for letting me do that. (laughs) So they organized this YMCA as a, quote, refuge of Bible study and prayer for young men seeking escape from the hazards of life on the streets. And it was this week, June 6, 1844, that the very first Young Men's Christian Associated was founded. 
Now, the YMCA was unique for its time. For one, it was an organization founded to meet social needs in the community. Plus, it was open to members that crossed all of the lines that separated English social classes, which had not Mm. been done before. In 1851, in case you're curious, the first YMCA in the United States was opened in Boston. Now, it's also worth pointing out that a lot of people hear Young Men's Christian Association nowadays, and they're like, ooh, it's a religious organization. But Mm -hmm. I should point out that now the YMCA has a secular mission, Mm -hmm. right? Secular meaning not religious, right? Not religious, right, yeah. Right. So here are a few more facts about the Y that you may not know. In 1861, a conference with President Abraham Lincoln led to the full-scale recruitment of YMCA volunteers. The YMCA and Protestant ministers formed the United States Christian Commission. Approximately 5,000 of these volunteers served as civilians, meaning they did not carry weapons onto the battlefield. But they did distribute more than $6 million worth of goods and supplies to Union hospitals, camps, prisons, and battlefields. Louisa May Alcott... You might know her from a little book called Little Women, was among mm-hmm. many of the women mm-hmm. who worked with the commission. I just have a mental picture of Abraham Lincoln with his beard and his stovepipe hat, just like doing the backstroke at a wide at a like pool, playing Marco Polo with Louisa May Alcott. Marco Polo, except it's um, uh, uh, Robert E. Lee. <laughs> Robert Lee <laughs> I found you I got you in eighteen eighty one then superintendent of the Boston YMCA and strength training devotee Robert J. Roberts invented the term bodybuilding and he allowed the Y to advertise the YMCA by running ads that contained pictures of his broad and muscular backside <laughs> and Katie, I know you're gonna ask you want to see a picture? Of course I do. I'm also just kind of stuck on the fact that his name is Robert Roberts. I know. What were his parents thinking? They were like, okay, um, we, we, we can't name him Edward because of your cousin. <laughs> we can't name him James because of my brother. Mm-hmm. So what's left? Uh, well, let's just go with the obvious. <laughs> Robert. Okay. Easier to spell that way. Just you write know, his name twice. Easy and, right. and not hard to to uh, forget either. Okay, I'm forwarding you a picture of Robert J. Roberts. Shave him bald and he looks like a guy that I dated in like 2012. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Was, uh, was he a strength training devotee too? No. No, he was in a band. Oh. I don't recommend. <laughs> oh. How about that mustache, Katie? That is a twirlable mustache. Mm-hmm. Ever I saw one. Mm-hmm. Mm. Bring bring handlebar mustaches back. That's what I always say. Mm. That's what my bumper sticker says. They're underrated. Mm-hmm. In December 1891, um, the school's director of the International YMCA Training School in Massachusetts gave physical education teacher James Naismith two weeks to come up with an indoor winter game to challenge a class of future Y directors. 
James Naismith also wanted to create something as a way to invigorate his students during the harsh New England winters of 1891. So what he did, Katie, is he hung two peach baskets to the bottom of a second level running track and taught the men his new game. Any guesses what it might be? Peach ball! <laughs> Good I guess! Peach ball. Every summer, me and my friends, we love to join in the game of peach ball. Basketball, Katie. Basketball, Basketball my yeah. friend. <laughs> I knew that. I did. I did. I, I swear to God, I knew it was basketball. That was your next guess. That was my next guess after Peach Ball. (laughs) Four years later, a man by the name of William G. Morgan felt that basketball was too strenuous for his businessmen. So he combined elements of this Peach Ball, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. basketball, tennis, and handball, and called it Mintonette. In 1896, at the International YMCA Training School, again in Massachusetts, started to call it by a new name, which described the back-and-forth manner in which the ball flew over the net. Any other guesses, Katie, what this was called? Back-and-forth ball? Good guess! Volleyball! (laughs) (laughs) I still think back-and-forth ball would be a lot more entertaining. I think so. Mm -hmm. I think so. Mm. In 1909, the YMCA began a campaign to, quote, teach every man and boy in North America to swim. A man named George Corson began teaching swimming in Detroit with a radical new concept. He put people together in a group and gave them swim lessons. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, versus the alternative, which is like like holding people's heads under the water. I don't know. Or, or like like on land learning the movements but not actually going into the water. Actually, Katie, what's really funny is in addition to the group swim lessons, he also introduced That's the concept of on land swim lessons. I am not joking. <laughs> I am not joking. Like I guess like figuring out the emotions before you get in the water. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, yeah. And I just want to jump in with one quick factoid that I, I know that I um, – I know we joke about like, uh uh-huh, laugh, uh, you know, uh uh-huh, teaching people how to swim, ha, ha, ha. But it was actually up until the modern era, era, drowning was incredibly common for people. Like no one really knew how to swim. It wasn't a thing that you you did, especially if you you lived more like in um, more urban areas as well. Yes. And this is Mm -hmm. why we're friends, Katie, because I knew you were going to bring that up. (gasps) And I knew you would be wondering... If I researched to see if this campaign actually worked, you bet your sweet Robert J. Roberts backside I researched, Katie. (laughs) I actually read the mortality statistics completed by the Department of Commerce and Labor from 1909, and here's Mm -hmm. what I discovered. Okay. The population in 1909 was approximately 90 million, Mm 490,000 people. Drowning was considered an accidental death. In 1909, 6,659 people died in railroad accidents and injuries. Only, Mm. and I say only because this number seems pretty small to me, only 4,558 people died from drowning that year. So I will leave it up to you, dear listeners, 
to decide for yourself if you think the YMCA's campaign was successful or not. Just in case you were wondering too, because I, I know you were, 150 people died from lightning, 81,720 people died from tuberculosis, which I really think puts the 4,558 drowning like in perspective. Um, mm. Also, a bunch of people died from diarrhea, and I will never again take a bottle of Pepto-Bismol for granted ever again. I would push back and say those 4,000 deaths could have been preventable had they learned how to swim. I mean, with exceptions, of course, for very, very small children who fall into ponds and things like that. But but it's preventable. Yes, but mm-hmm. could those 4,558 people not live near a YMCA? True. Is what I'm saying. Didn't have access. Yes. 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 Okay. I see what you're saying. What were the statistics before that? That's what I, I'm curious to know. Like, what's the, the change in rate? Oops. Katie, you have me stumped. I'm going to research that and get back to you because that's actually a really great question. And I'm just like, <laughs> have I ruined the podcast? You've ruined it. We're I'm done. So I'll see myself out. <laughs> <laughs> I do also want to point out, too, that just going back to that campaign to, quote, teach every man and boy in North America to swim. I do mm. want to, I think it is worth noting that women started joining the YMCAs in the 1850s. So, like, whatever to this campaign. Like, women were still very much a part of the YMCA at this point. I don't see why they said teach every man and boy. Whatever. Right, right. Because women drown just as well as men do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the YMCA had actively condemned tobacco and its addictive evils. However, during World War I, the YMCA sponsored a group of specially trained bulldogs to carry cartons of cigarettes to nervous soldiers across war-torn Europe. And again, if you're wondering if I did a deep dive into cigarette-toting bulldogs, I have the photos to prove it. I I want to know if they appear to be like the modern iteration of bulldogs or if it's their like primordial cousins you know because they i mean they've changed quite a bit over the years so i i'm very excited (laughs) this now keep in mind this was like 100 years ago i don't think bulldogs have changed too much in 100 years but (laughs) i think i accidentally sent you uh robert j roberts again too at the same time so just disregard his broad backside i will not Double your pleasure. Double your fun. <laughs> Katie's going to keep his photo on her phone, like peek at it during work hours. Like, I'll be right there. It's going to be my lock screen. My husband's like, who's that? Like, don't worry. He's been dead for 70 years. Oh, there we go. Oh, my God. Is that not the cutest uh, oh. cigarette-toting dog you have ever seen in your entire life? Look, he's like, I got your cigarettes for you. Now, here's the other thing. Okay, so this, of course, led me down a whole rabbit hole of um, war dogs. Um, and just in case you were wondering, the most mm-hmm. widely known war dog of World War I was Sergeant Stubby. <laughs> and he was the first dog to achieve rank in the U.S. military. Um, he would comfort wounded soldiers on the battlefield. He would use his bark to warn soldiers of potential attacks. And he even captured a German soldier, which... I'm going to leave it at that. That's definitely worth mm-hmm. its own story another time. But anyway, Sergeant you Stubby. You go, Sergeant Stubby. 
Katie, have you ever heard of the United Service Organizations for National Defense, also known as the USO? I Yes. Yes, I do know the USO. So mm-hmm. during World War II, the YMCA, along with five other national voluntary organizations, actually founded the USO. I did not know that. Also during World War II, the YMCA staff worked secretly in U.S. internment camps, holding 110,000 Japanese Americans, and they organized clubs and activities for the children. Aww. How amazing is that? I mean, not the internment piece. No, not that Japanese piece. No, no, no. Americans, yes. no, but the, the, you know, trying to, I guess, I suppose, make bring at least a little bit of joy yeah. to those children. That's, yes. That's... That's important. At least somebody was thinking of them. And yeah. Mm -hmm. So before the 1960s, mandatory nudity was common practice in American swimming pools. Unless, of course, you were a lady, in which case. Mandatory nudity. Yes. Like someone told you. Don't come at me with any swim shorts. Mm -mm, mm -mm. No. Mandatory. Yeah. And and we think think masks are a fighting issue. The YMCA did not take a stance on this topic and instead allowed individual locations to draft their own rules. However, mm-hmm. many enforced compulsory male skinny dipping, claiming that mm-hmm. buck naked patrons supposedly spread less bacteria than their clothed counterparts. And I was like, I read that and I'm like, absolutely not. That is silly. That's ludicrous. So I went to um, a few swimsuit websites. Yeah. And this one company says that um, underwear and street clothes can actually transport dirt and waterborne disease to the pool, harming other swimmers. So something to think about the next time you're at the pool this summer with your family. Uh, Mm. Just jump in buck naked and when they pull you out, say, you know, I'm just just trying to keep everybody healthy. Yeah, just chew on that fact for, for a bit. Yeah. And finally, in 1978, Victor Willis, lead singer and lyricist for The Village People, recalls that producer Jacques Morali once asked him, what exactly is the YMCA? After explaining it to him, Willis said to Morali, quote, don't tell me, Jacques, you want to write a song about it. (laughs) When this song was released, the YMCA actually threatened to sue The Village People over trademark infringement. They eventually settled out of court, and the YMCA later expressed pride regarding the song. On the one hand, Willis has said that he wrote the song as a, quote, reflection of the fun activities that young urban Black youth experienced at the YMCA, such as basketball, mm-hmm. oh, <laughs> peach ball, peach ball. <laughs> and swimming. Mm-hmm. However, on the other hand, it has also been said that Willis is fond of double entendre, and the mm-hmm. song is often implicitly understood as a gay anthem celebrating the wise reputation as a popular cruising and hookup spot. Regardless of the meaning behind it, the song has become very popular and mainstream over the years. And I dare you, Katie, not to dance along <laughs> the next time it comes up at the next summer wedding you go to. It's pretty much mandatory at all. Every <laughs> wedding I've been to in the last 20 years. <laughs> So that is the story of the founding of the YMCA this week in 1844. Now, Katie, we cannot play the Y, the YMCA song, because of um, we'll go to jail if we do it, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so how about you take us out, Katie, by singing that famous ditty, the YMCA? Why would we subject 
our poor listeners. Katie, we're the ones with the microphones. <laughs> and they're the ones with the ear holes. So buckle up. Okay. Where do you want me to start from? Oh, you're going to really do it. Do it. Do it. Oh, God, no. It's fun to stay at the, at the Y-M-C-A. Okay, we have to stop for legal reasons. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, if you have a favorite story in history you want to share with us, or if we made some horrible mistake in our retelling of history, be sure to slide into our DMs at at another history podcast, or send us an email at notanotherhistory at gmail.com. Can't wait to hear from you.